0: I will be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I want to continue to remind you about our 40 days of prayer that we've invited you as the leadership of this church to commit to. Uh, Right now, we're in the process of reaffirming our present elders, and so if you have not picked up one of the affirmation sheets, please pick those up out in the foyer after services are over and get those turned in as quickly as possible. Um, As you can see, there are things we desperately need godly men leading us through uh, as we've talked this morning about uh, the historic tragedy. Uh, A year has passed since that occurred. And uh, I was curious if any of the media would leave that alone. And the San Antonio Express didn't disappoint us. Not in that way anyway. Uh, It was a tough week starting out for me. It's been a tough week as we have met several times uh, as leadership to talk about how to respond to you as a congregation. And so it's just driven home again how imperative it is that we have men who are listening to God and loving a church to lead us. Amen. So please reaffirm these elders that we have now. Uh, please let them know if there's some areas where they can improve. I want you to know they want to know. If you see some things going on in their lives that, uh, that are worthy of praise, they want to know that too. And so please use this time to, to love on them, uh, to speak your hearts to them if you need to. Uh, I promise you, to a man, uh, they will welcome your comments, positive and even if they happen to be challenging a little bit. So please uh, do that. Continue to pray for our future shepherds. We don't know who they're going to be, uh, but we are asking you, the second part of this is to consider who they might be, to be looking around and thinking about the men and their families who we are watching shepherding right now. They're loving on our church. They're leading in different ways, but we'd like to acknowledge that leadership and to increase that, to deepen and widen it uh, by asking them to be our shepherds and praying that they would accept. So please continue that process. We're in a series that I'm calling Lights Out. It's a study of 1 John chapter 4 for those of you who are visiting with us. And um, over and over John has taken us through a process of trying to differentiate between look-alike Christians and live-alike Christians. Uh, Bogus Christians and authentic Christians. And so we're trying to, to follow his path through this letter and wow, some things have have been reaffirmed over and over again, that there's a couple of tests to to see if that's true of your life. The first is this. Does someone believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh? The second is this. Do their beliefs and actions line up with the commandments and character of God? And then the last one is this. Do they love their brother? Now, I'm going to be honest. John gets kind of repetitive. I mean, he brings these three things up almost all the time throughout the letter. He doesn't take a a typical preaching format where he says, Okay, chapter 1, let's talk about Jesus coming in the flesh and how significant that is. Chapter 2, let's talk about um, your beliefs and actions lining up with God's commandments and character. Chapter 3, let's talk about loving your brother. No, he doesn't teach in a list format. He teaches kind of in a spiral format where one is almost dependent upon the other. You can't have one without the other. He says um, it's significant that Jesus comes in the flesh and is the Son of God. That's important. And if you believe that, that's going to lead to you elevating his character, his commandment to a, a place in your life, not just something that God thinks or he wants, but that's who you are. And one of the primary things that he commands us to do, as a matter of fact, he says on one occasion it's very similar to loving God, and that is loving your neighbor. And that's just kind of a spiral that works its way all throughout the message of John. But it's this last one that we're going to talk about this morning in our particular text for this day, uh, where he underscores again how significant it is that you speak his love language. And if you want to know if you speak God, if you want to know if someone else speaks God, just look and see how they love their brother. Let's read the text together. Dear friends, And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. Let me say it again, John would say, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment We're in this world like Jesus now, and in him there's no fear in love, but perfect love we see drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Again, we love only because he first loved us. So whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot Love God whom they've never seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And the church said, amen. Pray with me, please. Father, we believe you that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you live in them and they in you. We know that there is a room full of folks at Hosanna Lutheran Church right now who are Lifting up your name in praise, hearing your word proclaimed, breaking the bread, and sharing in the cup because they do acknowledge you as Lord. And so we're asking along with them and all the other disciples and believers in our community, would you knit our hearts together? Now more than ever, we need to be a people of love. So that the world might know you did, and see, you did send Jesus and it matters for anything. And so we're asking, would you make us one just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one? Would you make us one that they might believe? And we ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said. When was the last time you heard someone say, what part of no don't you understand? When was the last time you heard someone say, what part of stop don't you understand? Now let's give it a little positive spin. When was the last time you heard someone say, what part of a hug do you not understand? Get over here and give me one. As we've been reading through the book of John, I've been challenged with a similar question. Jimmy, what part of love don't you understand? You can't hardly read that section that we just read there and not get an image or, or at least a minimal or a working understanding of what God means by love. In 15 verses, we read the word love 27 times. And in the mix, three different times, he says, please, please. Speak God's love language and love one another. Brother, what God expects of us is not difficult to understand, but let's all confess, it is difficult to live out. It's so much easier for me on certain days to love the God that I can't see than love the brother right across the table from me. Amen? Come on. That's a lot easier on on many days. So I want to ask John, why are you so passionate about this subject? And I think his response might be something along the lines of, well, because I'm passionate about God. And God is love. Now, If there's one thing John would say i witnessed while I watched God walk among us in Jesus in the flesh, it's how he loves people. He didn't just teach us to love. No, Jimmy, he loved us. John's saying in his letter, visible love is the foundation of a live-alike Christian, not a look-alike Christian. You see, before God creates one angel, one star, one planet, one human being, there is God. And God is love, he says. Love's not one of his attributes right along with mercy or justice or his wisdom or his faithfulness or his wrath. No, his essence, his nature is love. And all of his other attributes flow out of that nature. So his wisdom is loving wisdom. And his faithfulness is loving faithfulness. And his justice is loving justice. And everything God does or is comes out of this one truth. God is, say it with me, church. One more time. God is, that's who he is. So when God even judges or when he disciplines or pours out his wrath, every loving parent in this room knows. You can do that with love. You might have done that not so much with love. Or maybe not with any. God never does. That's not just amazing, it's supernatural. It's miraculous. Now, why all does this matter? Because no other religion in the world talks about God like this. Every other religion in the world teaches that your relationship with God starts with you. If you do this or if you do that well enough, then God will love you. Christianity, however, is the only religion that says a relationship with God starts with His love towards you. Not the other way around. Your love is simply a response to him making the very first move. 1 John 4, 19 says it just this clearly. We love because he first loved us. Now, with that in mind, I've got a couple of questions for you. Now, the first one may cause a fuss in your marriage, those of you who are married, but I kind of don't mind. I think it'll be worth it if it did. Who declared love first in your relationship if you're hitched? If you're married, I want to know, all right, who said I love you first? Well, I asked Gail that question while we were driving down to um, our trip to Rockport to do a little work with the flood relief victims down there. I said, Gail, who said I love you first? And her answer reminds me that I married the woman for her looks, not her memory. She said, You said I love you first. And I thought to myself, I know she said it first, but I want this to be a peaceful drive. I'm not challenging that. (laughs) Good form. Does it matter who declared who loved who first in your marriage? Probably not. But please hear me. It matters who declared who loved who first. Maybe not in your marital relationship, but your saving relationship. It really does God declares his love for you before you ever anticipated it or ever expected it or ever requested it and not with a love that was philosophical or esoteric it was not love in the abstract no way we talked about this two weeks ago it was love in the tangible love in the touchable love in the visible demonstrated in history through a very specific deed his death on the cross John says we love because he first loved us, and he did so when we weren't all that lovely. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, and I know this term gets threadbare worn, sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were insolent, while you were rebellious, while you were selfish and self-centered and prideful and arrogant, he loved you. Because he couldn't help himself. That's who he is. (laughs) His love could not allow him to do nothing when we were lost and separated from him. Now, I've shared this before, so I'm not going to go into a great deal with either of these stories because I think I've told them both. But Gail and I know what it's like to lose a child. Not in death, although we could have killed them after she got lost twice in a row. But our youngest, Tabitha, was lost twice. First of all, in Albuquerque in a mall. Secondly, in the National Forest behind our house. Now, on either of those cases, it would have been impossible for her mom or her dad to do nothing. Just wouldn't. Not one ounce of me or my wife said, well, you know what? It just serves her right, little stink. Let her find out how dangerous a mall can be or how scary a forest can be. We'll just let her suffer a little while. Neither one of us said, well, you know, I got this game I'm watching. We'll, we'll look after, uh, after the game's over, okay? Yeah, and I got this coffee with Laura, and after we're finished, you know, do a little uh, Starbucks, we'll, we'll go look for her, all right? No way. We dropped everything, and we're in hot pursuit of that little snot that I've forgiven Almost. It's awful when your kid does that to you. And yet he loved us anyway. He couldn't help himself. And that's what John's trying to say over and over again. And a love like that just changes you when you believe it, when you welcome it, when you start living in it. And so John's just reminding some followers of Jesus, those who, who are curious, are, are we just a bunch of Jesus look are we really Jesus live-alikes? Well, let me tell you what. When you start loving almost in spite of yourself, then you know the love of God's in your heart. Now, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Too often I've sat right where you are listening to texts just like this. And, man, I've come to the conclusion, well, I've just not been very loving, especially not this week. Not to my spouse, not to my kids, not to my neighbor. And so we, we, we hear messages like this, and it's almost like we go, okay, I'm going to love better. I mean, I'm... I, Maybe you said this, I, I don't like the bum hardly, but I'm gonna do my best to love the bum. My kids just got me so mad I could I could spit, but I'm gonna love that rascal. And and that, that neighbor of mine who's about as warm as a vulture, I I'm gonna love them. And their dog. So we clench our teeth, we set our jaw, and we maybe not tell anybody, but we're gonna do this. And John says, I think maybe you're missing a step. Could it be that the first step toward becoming more loving is not toward them, but toward him? That's what John's trying to say. Could it be the secret to loving is receiving love before you ever try to give it? John says, let me say it again, we love because he first loved us. I'm curious, you've been in this series now with me for... Eight, ten weeks, you getting that? Is that starting to seek in a little bit? Maybe more than it did eight, ten weeks ago. It is for me. Do you long to be more loving? Then begin by accepting your place in God's family as his beloved child. Listen to Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. I love that Raymond did that with us today. As dearly loved children. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Are you finding it hard to put others first? Then meditate on Philippians 2 and verse 6, where Paul tried to say, though though Jesus was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. If you're trying to put others first, start there. Remember that he did that for you. Need more patience? Drink deeply from God's patience. Has generosity been elusive for you? Then consider how generous God's been to you. Having trouble with ungrateful relatives or cranky parents? Remember, God puts up with you when you're cranky and even when you're wicked. Here's what the scripture says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 33. He's kind to the ungrateful. And I don't like this word attached to me, but I am this word sometimes, wicked. Now, can we love like that on our own? I don't think so. John doesn't. Not without God's help. Not without God's grace absolutely invading our heart because he first Loved us has to be settled before we can move on to to loving supernaturally in a way this world desperately needs. Jesus once asked a fellow by the name of Simon a question. Let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Simon had a reputation as a church leader for making some serious effort to study God. Simon had a reputation as a church leader for making some serious effort at obeying God. But not so much an effort for being loved by God. And you say, can that really happen? Can you have a leader in a church who studies God and tries to obey God and yet doesn't know the love of God? Jesus says you can. So we asked Simon a question. Simon, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to another, but neither one of them could repay the loan. And so he kindly Forgave them both. He canceled their debts. Who do you suppose then loved him more? And Simon thought about that for a moment. He says, Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt? And Jesus said, You're right. And Simon, who loves to be right, said, He did ask it in public. Now, do you remember church Jesus? Asking that question, that's the first question I want to ask. But the second one is this, do you remember where he asked that question? It was at a dinner party. A dinner party at Simon's house. He was hosting this rogue rabbi by the name of Jesus who had become rock star level in Israel. And while Simon was basking in the prestige of some, somebody of notoriety eating at his table, in walks one of the town's prostitutes. And she wrecks his little soirée. away. No invitation, no standing in the community. And I know some of you have that, well, that's a story, but I can't imagine that happening. Well, imagine at the staff Christmas party at the Sportsman's, all right, in walks this woman in a tight red dress, unannounced, uninvited. Do you think that would make some faces blush? Some explaining would be called for? Surely there would be, especially when the lady of the night proceeds to kneel down in front of the preacher... And removes his sandals and starts shedding a river of tears. She starts to look for something to dry the preacher's feet with, but there's nothing. And so she lets down her hair and dries them with her brunette towel. And as if that wasn't enough, it was almost as if she'd rehearsed this. She breaks an expensive bottle of perfume worth a fortune. And it fills the room with its fragrance. And she pours it out on the preacher's feet. Outlandish is what that is. And uninvited is what that is. And unexpected is what that is. And I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but the scripture records what Simon was thinking. Some man of God, this must be. If Jesus is who he says he is, he would have nothing to do with this woman now the narrator who's me would interject with this oh Simon scholar of the church if you knew anything about God you would know that he would have everything to do with her this is the moment that Jesus says Simon can I tell you a story you've already heard the story you already heard that Simon got the answer right but you haven't heard What happened after he gives a correct answer? Uh, The one who was forgiven more? Jesus says, Simon, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off of my feet. This woman, however, she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a greeting. She's been kissing my feet since I walked in the door. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only love a little. This story always challenges me. Simon shows nothing to make Jesus feel welcome. This woman, however, does everything that Simon didn't. And you would think that Simon, of all people, would show such love. He's the scholar, isn't he? He's the, he's the student of Scripture. He's a leader in the church. But he's harsh and he's distant. And you would think that this woman would avoid Jesus. This woman of the night... I mean, she's an embarrassment to the community, but she can't resist being near him. Simon's love is calculated and stingy. Her love, on the other hand, is extravagant and risky. How do you explain the difference between the two? Is it training? Is it education? Is it money? No, because Simon has her outclassed in all three of those categories. But there is one area in which this woman leaves him eating dust. Think about it, church. What's the one discovery she's made that's not in Simon's heart? What's the one treasure she cherishes that Simon doesn't possess? One thing and one thing only. God is love. She knows that. She's not just studied in it. She's not leading a bunch of people to try to learn it. She knows that. To Simon, grace is something to be analyzed. He does not request it. No, he'd rather debate it and prorate it it's not that Simon couldn't experience forgiveness it's just he never asked for it at least not in this scene I hope by God's grace he did But the woman kissing the feet of Jesus is swimming in it we know it because of the river of tears of gratitude that's flooding everywhere around her now we don't know when she received this we aren't told how she received it and I'm glad we didn't or we try to to make a pattern out of it that's what we do We don't know how, we don't know where, we don't know when, but we do know this. Once God's love fills her heart, it changes her life. It can't help but change her life. It's leaking out everywhere. Everywhere. Because she accepted God's outlandish grace. And he deposited it in her heart. And we know she believes in it. We know she believes it belongs to her because she's already writing outlandish checks on it and in public. And so John reminds us, God did the same for you. He did the same for me. Here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There it is, church. The deposit was made. He's made it available to all of us. He's waiting to know if you want to make a withdrawal. If you want to believe that it truly has been deposited in your account. And if you want to lay claim to that deposit, calling it your own, then John invites you, get your checkbook out. And start writing some checks In 1 John 4 and verse 11, he says this, Since God has loved us, surely, surely we can love one another. If we've received so great a deposit of his love, surely we can write some checks for that account. That's what John's trying to say. And I think most of us understand the banking terminology that goes with all that. Do you want to know the secret to living life to the full? That's the third part of our mission steps here. Our mission statement is, we're going to love ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, and we've got a plan. We're going to love God and we're going to love our neighbors, and we are going to live life to the full in front of the whole world. That's our steps to fulfilling that mission. How do you live loved? You live loved. You so receive his love, you so believe in his love, you so so bask in his love, you so stand into the Niagara Falls of his grace, you can't help but leak some of that to the world. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, you go down deep with the roots of your life into the love of God. Go down deep into his marvelous love. Sister John, just as the tree draws nutrients from the soil, so we draw nourishment from the Father. But if that tree does not have contact with the soil, we are dead where we're standing. And I just saw the image of that as we're coming back from the coast. I've never seen so many oak trees. Oak trees now. The sign of longevity and and standing tall and strong just blown over by Hurricane Harvey. And, And they're still alive. They're still green. They still have some leaves on the end of it. But you know what? They are dead where they are. Because their roots don't go down into anything anymore. And John's saying, and Paul's saying, and Jimmy's trying his best to nudge us towards saying, make sure the roots of your life go deep into God's love. Or you're almost dead where you're standing. Can I tell you who did? Paul did. God's love changed a religious terrorist bent on eliminating Christians from the planet to becoming a Christian missionary, trying to get every person he could talk to to become a Christ follower and fill the planet with them. That love changed James, the cynical. He was the younger brother of Jesus, but he was skeptical of his older brother. He thought he was a lunatic, Scripture records, but later, later, he's so wrecked by the love of God, he declares his brother Lord, and he becomes an elder in the church. That love turned a self-centered, arrogant politician into, one, into a one-man crusade to make sure the gospel's preached in every prison in the world. Don't believe me, ask Chuck Colson or his family. That love turned around a very self-centered, arrogant teenager bent on breaking every commandment God had. But that love of Christ wrecked him when he was 22 years old. Wrecked him. And now his heart is pulled toward the poorest and the least of our world. And he's trying his best to preach the gospel to all the world. If you don't believe me, ask Franklin Graham. When your life is rooted in God's love, love happens. That's what John's trying to say. God gets into your heart and love becomes a part of your life. No, love becomes your life. He does more than just make an impression on you. No, he rebirths you, we've seen so far. You have his loving DNA placed inside you through the power of the Spirit, just waiting for you, not just to welcome him in in one moment, some, some moment that that. All the the stars fell in place and just the right things were said or the music was played. No, not just a welcoming. No, take over, to take over. That's what he's hoping for. And here's why, because Romans 5 and verse 5 says, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill those rooms, those hearts with his love. I want you to know, I get it, you may be struggling to love this morning, but God's love present in your life changes all of that. A marriage-saving love isn't in any of you, but it is in God. A friendship-preserving devotion can't be found in our hearts, but it is in God's. An enemy caring love, that's not in us, John says. But God will pour that love into your hearts if you'll welcome him to. I don't know about you, but I need a transfusion of that every day. I need him pouring his love in me to come out through me to do just about anything good. Two things. I've talked about the first point. The majority of this message will happen if you receive his love. The first is this. He will fill you to love. He'll fill you to love. The second thing is he'll empty your heart of fear. Last verse. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. and The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Can I just tell you the truth? I'd say for most of my Christian life, I've been afraid of the judgment. That verse in in Matthew chapter 7 just scares the fool out of me about those guys who, who think that they're in uh, but we did this and we did this and we did this and we did this and he says depart from me I never knew you. <gasps> How many times did you hear that preaching in a place like this? I Was scared to death and no matter what I did in this world. It wasn't going to be enough and then I found out that's true <laughs> There's nothing I can do in this world that would ever be enough It's only his love made available at the cross Deposited there in in God's love bank that I can sign my name to and then make withdrawals from. And it still all hinges on the sufficiency of His getting it right, not me. Not me. And the more that I believe that, the less I become afraid of that moment called judgment. And so I invite you to do the same. I have failed. And there's only been one person in this world who's ever succeeded at living the perfect life, and that's Jesus Christ. And he allows me to be blessed by his success while taking my failures on himself at the cross. And the more I cherish that his work is sufficient, again, I'll say it, the less fear my work is not. And I have to confess, I spent way too much of my Christian life being afraid. Not anymore. I'm living loved. Really am. am especially compared to about 10, 15 years ago. So that means also that I am less living afraid. And if you want in on some of that, we have a time that we set aside every single week to invite you to come to the teller, who's me for the moment, who's here to exchange some stuff, talk to you about some stuff, about how you can get, on, get in on the, the riches of all riches in this world. God's amazing grace. He's already deposited his forgiveness in an account with your name on it. He just needs your signature. You know how we take that signature? We take you right back here and we ask you to do something that lets you know and us know you're in. And as far as I can read in scripture, that's exactly how God likes that. He likes to see when we we go public with our faith, with our belief. Because he said that if you'll go public with that, I'll go public with my faith and belief in you when that judgment comes. And so if you want to come this morning and you want to say, I, I want that love for my life. I've never claimed it as my own. I've never trusted fully in the cross to be everything I need to satisfy God and what he's seeking. And would you come find me and say, I want to be baptized this morning. But if you're like my, my, my history 10, 15 years ago, and maybe you walked in here afraid that if you had to face a judgment today, you, would, you wouldn't be sure where you would stand Can I say it again? That doesn't have so much to do with how well you've performed. It's trusting in how well Jesus has. And if we can pray for God to bring that home to your heart, we want to do that. We're going to have elders at the back and some elders here at the front whose role in this church is to help us go deeper and wider in the love of Christ so that we might know that when we come to that day, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? We're going to sing this song, and if we can minister to you in any way, please come while we stand.